Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 67 of Yogaland. Today I talked to MC Yogi. He is someone who I feel kind of needs no introduction, but I'll do one anyway. He's a well-known performing artist and yoga teacher. He and his wife, Amanda, who was on episode 45 of the podcast, are owners of Point Reyes Yoga in Point Reyes, California, which is just about an hour north of San Francisco. Last year, MC Yogi was on tour, headlining Wanderlust and 108 events, and he performed in front of more than 200,000 people. In August of 2016, his collaboration, Ritual Mystical, made it to number one on the iTunes electronic charts. And his latest project is his memoir, Spiritual Graffiti, which comes out on September 19th, but you can pre-order it on Amazon right now, and that's what we talk about today. The book traces his history all the way back from his childhood and the difficulties he went through. He ended up in high school living in a group home for a time. And even when he graduated from high school, he went through a period of, you know, aimlessness. It was his dad's friend, Larry Schultz, who we mentioned in the podcast. And many of you may remember Larry as the owner of It's Yoga in San Francisco. Sadly, Larry passed away a few years ago. But in my reading of the book, it was really the combination of finding yoga and Larry's direct influence and encouragement that set MC Yogi on the path to creativity and love and success that he enjoys now. You'll notice in the interview that I tell him that I think he is a great role model for young men. And I don't think he's ever considered himself that way before, but I just want to say that if you know of a young man who's struggling with his identity or just getting into some trouble in his youth or just feeling uh, sort of aimless and alone, I think this book would be a really great read. All of the music featured in this episode is MC Yogi's, and I will put links to it on the show notes page, which you can find at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 67. And one last thing before we get to the interview, which is that I just want to send love and healing to Houston. I have been researching local organizations to donate to just because it just makes me feel more comfortable. I'll be sharing those in our upcoming newsletters at the bottom in a list. So if you would like to see those, you can subscribe to our newsletter at jasonyoga.com on the homepage. You can find a subscribe button. And on to the interview. So I have so many things I want to talk to you about, but one thing that I just really admire about you and Amanda is I started the podcast in part because I wanted to talk to people who are not just using their yoga practice to become yoga teachers, but also to like help them with the other parts of their life and to help them with, with other types of careers. So I think it's really amazing that you do what you do, that you, you were able to bridge yoga and music. And I just wonder, how did you do it? You, you, you know, really created your own unique, unique path. I was really lucky because I started practicing Ashtanga yoga when I was about 17, right on the cusp of 18, like right when I was about to you know, become a, a legal adult. And I had struggled a lot growing up sort of, you know, as a juvenile delinquent and was getting arrested a lot and, you know, getting into trouble, sneaking out of the house, stealing my parents' car, painting graffiti, getting caught up in violence and fights and all kinds of just dumb stuff. And 
I got sent to a group home and I lived there for about two and a half years. And then when I got out, I, I sort of stumbled into yoga thanks to my dad. And I think it was because of the type of yoga that he was practicing, because it was just stronger vinyasa yoga, that it really, it kind of grabbed me and just mm-hmm. reminded me very quickly. And it kind of pulled me in and it set me straight and it got me on this path. And I'd always been an artist. I was always drawing and doodling and scribbling on stuff from really, really young. I was always into cartoons and comic books. And I think when the yoga sort of started to work its magic on me, when it started to realign me physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it started to reflect in my art. And it really connected me to what you know the yogis call your swadharma, which is your own personal path or your, you know, I call it your true path what you're really here to do. Like there's, there's an understanding that when you align your life with a divine purpose is called Dharma. So for me, like as an artist, even as a young child, I knew that I was going to live my life artistically. Like I, I wanted to express and create and make stuff with my hands. And then the yoga just, because it was such a vigorous practice and it really demanded so much, I think it really made me resilient and strong and gave me the wherewithal to really pursue my path because I think it's really easy to have sort of a hobby or something you're interested in and you kind of start down the path and you're not really good at first. And the reality is that nobody's really good at first unless you're like a savant or a genius. And that's very rare. But most of us are just kind of, you know, we start in in a very simple way. But the practice taught me to like keep going and develop my skill. And the more I would hit the mat and practice, the more I found everything else I was doing was had, had more energy, more focus, more clarity, more concentration, more purpose. And so I'm really grateful because it was through my yoga practice that it actually put me on my path. And I never really set out to be a yoga teacher. Like I never really wanted to teach. In fact, some people say you're not really a teacher until you turn 40. And then, you, <laughs> and, you know, then you can, before that, you're kind of an instructor, right? Like you can facilitate and lead people through a process that you yourself have gone through. But there is a certain threshold or rite of passage when you've done like your 10,000 hours, then you can really turn around and start to to teach. Yeah. And so I'm getting closer to that. I don't think I'm there yet, but, you know, as I continue to, to really delve into the practice, meditating and, and the asanas and, and studying. I feel like I'm getting closer to the place where I'm maybe starting to become more of a teacher. Mm-hmm. It's very humble of you. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like the yoga practice gave you, my friend always talks about, it gave you like the inner resources to be able to make the outer dream happen. You had to really persevere just to even get your music made at first and to find your audience. Like, what was the turning point where you felt like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm a, I'm a musician now and I'm an artist and, and I'm, I've arrived. I think once you start to experience your body moving into positions and postures that you thought were impossible and you start to have a physical experience of the impossible becoming possible through practice, you start to realize that that applies to everything else in life that no, you're not going to be able to do it at first. And most people are going to give up because it's hard and it's like, you're going to get slapped down and it's going to be difficult and there's going to be struggle and pain and, and, and loss and all these things. 
And then when you just keep coming back to the practice and you stay with it and, and things start to open up inside and you start to get into these postures, you're like, whoa, it's, I could feel it. Like I, I, I never really felt this way before. All of a sudden, all this energy is coursing through me and I'm breathing and I'm like inhabiting my body like I've never inhabited it before. Like I could feel my bones and mm -hmm. my muscles my skin and my blood and I could feel waves moving waves of blood moving through my heart moving through the filter and like all this like awareness is just like teeming and 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 like spreading and then then that energy gets sort of funneled or channeled or directed into whatever skill you're involved in whether it's like writing or composing songs or you know, whatever craft it is, it's like once you've had, that's why for me, it's called a practice because what you practice that on the mat and then you can take what you've learned from those experiments and apply them to other parts of your life. It's pretty scientific, which is kind of interesting. And I think the reason why I gravitated toward yoga so much, one was because my dad said I wouldn't like it. <laughs> Smart man. Yeah. And then two, it was really like, because it was Ashtanga yoga at the time and we didn't really have a lot of teachers around us where we were living, it was like self-practice. So you had to, it was DIY. You had to do it yourself. And that really taught, taught me a lot. And it showed me where my, it, even today, like it shows me my resistance, like where my laziness is, where I just want to like stay in bed and watch YouTube or I get up and I can meditate. You know, it's like mm -hmm. you, every day you got to make that decision. But yeah, that practice really, really changed my life. You mentioned it, you talk about in the book, Larry Schultz, who was a huge influence on you, who was just such a great guy. Larry wasn't just a great guy. He was a, he was like a wild mystic and, and he was a very unorthodox, out of yeah. the box, free thinking, free willing, just kind of yogi, you know, mm -hmm. and he, he wasn't just like a, your run of the mill kind of practitioner. He was like, he was like this bold, adventurous pioneer who was, you know, he came up in the in the hippie era and got involved in the Shtanga Yoga when it first came to America. And when he was in that, you know, that early wave of people like Tim Miller and Richard Freeman and Chuck and Mati and all these really like those are the people that I have so much admiration for because mm -hmm. like all those early practitioners, like it was such a, a small community, like a subculture. Yeah. And it was so like unpopular, like mm -hmm. no one what it was and they're like surfers and hippies and they and were geeks like we were just geeks <laughs> it's like a radical practice yeah and and now it's like it's you know it's more open it's more popular it's in the mainstream and, and that's fantastic but there is something to be said about those early days when people were doing it not for money not for fame they were just in it to experience it and and ride that wave i just i just uh published an interview with with Judith Lasseter and she was talking about how, you know, if you opened a yoga studio back when she was started teaching, she started teaching in the 70s. Okay. She said you not only had to educate people about like, you know, the the postures and all that stuff, you had to get people in the door because people just didn't know what yoga was. Like you had to, you know, people were so had so many impressions about it being like subversive and strange before they even came in the door that that was like an additional thing you had to do I mean my memory of Mary of Larry was just and he wasn't like a full-time teacher for me I just dropped in on his classes every once in a while but 
His enthusiasm was unmatched. Like he was such an enthusiastic guy. Oh no, it was contagious, man. Like you would just, his voice would just echo in the space. And, and I was reflecting on this yesterday with Amanda because when I first started practicing with Larry, it was on um, Folsom Street, it was upstairs in this loft. I remember that space. Yeah. And so it's probably about like, you know, 80 to 100 people in there. And it would just be like a, it was like a steam room. Uh -huh. like cooker yeah. everyone was up there and it was strong and it was fun and people were just rocking out and it, like ashtanga yoga and vinyasa yoga was just like starting to really lift off and then he went downstairs which used to be an old sort of a sweat factory where they used to make t-shirts and when, when larry transformed that space into a yoga studio it was probably the i mean san francisco has never seen a space that big even to this day because yeah. it was like it was like an airplane hanger. Yeah. And, you know, he was teaching this type of yoga called rocket yoga. And, I, and you literally felt like you were like lifting off because you were in this huge space. It was like a hanger. And he was like counting it down and people were popping up into handstands and floating and doing all kinds of stuff. And it was really happening. And then the dot com boom started to like swell and explode. And then there was just all this influx of money and youth into San Francisco and you know, the arts and the music scene was really flourishing. And that's really when Amanda and I sort of crashed together was right when all that was happening. And she had a little art studio on Haight Street. And we used to go over there and she, it was like a tiny little basement. And we'd go over there and collaborate and make art together. And that's kind of how we met and fell in love. I was, I was painting graffiti and she was making art and we were practicing yoga and it was just a really, really fun time to be in San Francisco. I'm curious, how much inspiration for your lyrics and like when you're writing, how much inspiration do you get from doing yoga practice? Like, are they connected at all for you? Yeah, 100%. I think that all my creativity is refined through my practices. I think because in the yoga practice, you know, one posture leads to the next posture. It's all about sequencing. It's all about timing and rhythm and getting into a beat. And so one of the things that Larry taught me early on was if you want to teach, the thing you need to develop first and foremost is your voice and being able to have a voice that fills a space and holds space and can guide people through a process, which in his, like, as I understood it from him, it was really a shamanic process of like peeling away all the attachments that we sort of cling to on the surface, our identity. And, you know, Larry always talked about Patanjali, who was a great teacher and saint in the yoga tradition as the jungle physician. And his whole thing was like, take the elixir of yoga, go in on this journey, on this quest and discover who you truly are when you take everything else away. And so the practice was like so challenging that it kind of like shook all the attachments loose. And like Patabi Joyce would say, you practice yoga to build heat so you can boil the blood and all the toxins can rise and push out through your skin. That's why we sweat. And for me, that process of doing that over and over and over again, I think it started to create some really deep grooves and pathways that led back to my center, to my core. And I've got this verse in one of my songs. I actually just posted it on Instagram because I was just remembering it. But it says, use 
Use your breath like a shovel, digging in a tunnel, carve a path through the rubble, move back toward the subtle. And for me, it's like, because we're breathing so much and actually moving everything, all the senses and our attention back in toward the center again and again and again, um, for me, it created this pattern or this repetition of going into that silent place inside of myself to access my music. So all my music, which flows from that place, and the, my best songs or my best poetry or my best lyrics are not from my head. Like I, they kind of filter through my head, but they're really just kind of like stemming and emanating from that space. That makes so much sense to me. I even feel that way about writing, just writing for the magazine or writing for blogs and things like that. It's like, if I sit down to try to think about a topic or, you know, like, if I have a topic, let's say, and I try to think about like filling in the information, it's the worst. It's like just the driest and it's the worst process. Like it's, it's very boring and uncomfortable, you know, but if it's like a hit of inspiration, which for me also usually comes during my yoga practice, it's the best. It's like, and maybe part of that is because like, it's actually fun. You know, it's actually like an enjoyable process. It's enlivening. Yeah. Like yeah. you feel more alive. Like it, like I was a horrible student. I mean, I got kicked out of like two, three schools. I mean, I basically failed through every school I went to. I was fired from every job I had. I just did not conform or fit into these like superimposed structures. And so whether it was religion or school, there was some part of me that was like, it just didn't want to wear those heavy clothes. Like I just you know, nowadays everyone's talking about like machine learning and, and, you know, filling out all this paperwork and forms and all this stuff that's like graphs and charts and demographics and marketing and promotion and yeah. this stuff. And I feel like you have to be careful a little bit because if you're really not living from that deeper place, then you can waste a lot of mm. precious earth time totally. in this spacesuit doing stuff that is really monotonous and meaningless. And yeah, it makes sense on paper, but when you bring it into the open air and you bring it into real life, is it making everybody's life better or is it making everybody more miserable because we're piling on all this administration? Right. And encouraging people to buy things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just like, it's uh, yeah, just that. Yeah. Yeah. That pressure. I, would say I love to buy things. I really, truly, genuinely enjoy going to like, like a cool place where someone has made something themselves and, and you buy that. And I feel like that is so awesome. I love supporting artists. I love supporting uh, craftspeople. Yeah. I love good food. I love really good coffee. Like I just appreciate things that are made with quality and with care. You know, I shouldn't sort of denigrate like all that paperwork and those graphs and charts. I'm just not sort of geared for that kind of stuff. Like I just, I'm not linear. I'm more spinnier. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You know, one of the things that I liked about reading the book is read so many, I feel like I've read so many yoga books in my lifetime, but I, I feel 
like there's rarely um, a memoir, a yoga memoir written by a man. Like there's tons of yoga books written by men, is but they're that, usually is that a memoir. What is that? Is that... That's right. <laughs> a memoir. I guess I just wondered as you were writing it, if you or even in your everyday teaching life, music, if you think about trying to reach guys, one of the things that comes through in your book is, you know, you talked about your dad came out of the closet when you were pretty young. And at that time, boys made fun of being gay. Like, in other words, it, it sounds like there was a lot of pressure around you growing up to be like a boy or a man in a certain kind of way. And you're obviously just much more three dimensional than that. And you've bridged these different worlds. I just wonder if you think about that influence. Well, when my dad came out of the closet, it was in the 80s and it was, the AIDS epidemic was sort of at its sort of peak. It was like a national crisis. And I know a lot of my dad's friends were dying of AIDS. I would even go with him to visit some of his friends. And every time I'd visit them, they'd be skinnier and closer and closer until finally they were gone. And I remember he was sort of instrumental in bringing the AIDS quilt to where we live now up in Point Reyes. And, and he, you know, he marched on Washington, D.C. And But yeah, you're right. At that time, it was like, even now there's still a lot of stigma, but it was even, it was really bad in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, I remember really that. It was really mean and cruel and there's a lot of ignorance and violence and hatred. And and so, yeah, I grew up with all that stuff. And But to answer your question, like when I wrote the book, like, or like I wasn't thinking about writing it for anyone in particular. I was just really trying to like remember hmm. exactly what happened as it happened and really was working to thread the story in a way that would it was kind of chronological and reflective because at the time there was a lot of you know and you've read the book so there's like there's a lot of stuff that happened along the way that and even I didn't even write all the stuff like sure. really put it all in there yeah there was a lot of just really traumatic difficult heartbreaking things that happened and then in hindsight I think it's really in large part due to age and thanks to yoga and meditation and you know you realize looking back on all those horrible things that they really help to shape you and strengthen you and give you a certain set of skills that equips you for what life has in store for you next. And I'm actually really grateful for all the difficult things that happen because I think just like the yoga practice, all those hard parts of the practice, it's like you need that pressure to make you a you know, a better human being, if you can get through it. Now, if the pressure's too much, if the tension's too intense, it can break you. And I saw a lot of people growing up who got so deep down the rabbit hole of drug addiction and violence and sort of negative behavior and self-destructive patterns where they didn't really kind of reemerge. You know, some of them committed suicide. Some of them got locked up, went to prison. And so for me, when I saw like that happen to my friends, I, I just kind of realized that I was going to have to really work to turn the tragedy into a triumph, turn the misery into a victory. Like it was going to take some effort on my part to really make things better because mm -hmm. it's real easy to slip into those patterns. Like, and we're all susceptible to that. Like, even like on a very small scale, like you can get into a negative spiral in your thoughts where you think everyone is against you or, you know, you can create a lot of victimization, mm -hmm. a lot, of, you know, you can demonize 
a lot of people, a lot of institutions. And, you know, I, I do that too. And I try to catch myself, you know, and, and try to recognize that everyone's human and we're all struggling and we're all doing the best to figure out our path and our purpose. And I think the best thing that, that I've learned along the way as I look to people like Dr. King or Mahatma Gandhi or, or any of these great sort of peaceful luminaries, and I just remember what they taught, which was that instead of fighting the darkness with darkness, you gotta you just gotta like be that light unto yourself and and just keep working diligently to develop and strengthen your own light. Yeah. Well, I'll just say that I I see you as a great role model for I don't know that I'm a role young model. man. You are. You are. I mean, being a role model doesn't mean you're a saint, but you, like you said, you've taken some difficult situations that you grew up with and and you are you're a creative person who's trying to help people i hate to i just realized i like have an oprah phrase in my head live their best lives yeah, <laughs> but it's best life. true i mean that but that's what yoga does you know it really helps uh, it meets us where we are and then helps us kind of work through till we figure out what we need to change and what needs to change within us and things naturally change and you help you help facilitate that process you know all those cliche things like they're kind of silly and funny until you actually need them yeah exactly and then you realize like wow i am so grateful there's people like oprah and like you know yeah because you're like man actually like life is difficult man and like everyone we know is gonna die Everyone's going to get sick. Everyone's dealing with suffering. There's incredible environmental degradation going on. The government is totally out to lunch. People are marching in the street with racist propaganda. And there's just so much chaos that when you, when there's like a little glimmer of light, you start to really appreciate it. And you're like, you know what? I used to make fun of all that stuff. But now I'm a little older and I'm like, man, I, I just appreciate that there's actually people in the world who are carrying that torch and trying to like be a cool, kind, peaceful person and do something positive. So exactly. That's all I'm trying to say. You're one of those people <laughs> and we need each other, you know? Yeah, I'm fortunate. I, I had a lot of really amazing teachers and mentors along the way that showed up for me when I needed someone to kind of help me out and kind of like point me in the right direction. So I think if it weren't for, for those people, and I talk a lot about, that's the reason why, you know, I didn't really want to write a book. I didn't plan on writing a book. I don't really read books. Like my Amanda reads books. She's, she's wicked smart. Like I don't read books at all. I read like comic books. I'll dip into like, there was a time where I was reading a lot of like yogic scriptures and sutras and stuff. And I still enjoy like the Bhagavad Gita. Cause to me, it's like an epic but I'm not the type of person that just like I'm that sits and just reads books. Um, I wish I were. Mm -hmm. My mind just doesn't like doesn't work that way. Yeah. But when I was approached to write this book, because I never really set out to write a book, I, I didn't think I I was going to write a book this early in my life. And then I was approached, and one of the reasons why I really sort of turned and decided that actually writing a book now is a really good idea is because I thought about my teachers and I thought about like Larry, my teacher, Larry, who's, who passed away, who's no longer in his body. And just like how much he gave to me and instilled in me and helped me and supported me. And I thought about like my dad and I thought about just how incredible it was falling in love with Amanda and 
and just all these things that I learned along the way. And I thought, man, like, I'm not going to write this book for me. I want, I want to write this book so that all those things that those people gave to me, I could pass it, pass it on. Life is precious. And a lot of my friends and teachers are not in their body anymore. And um, I hope my prayers that this book can help to carry on their legacy. Yeah, well, I mean, even for me, just reading about how much Larry helped you, like that he allowed you to basically live in his yoga studio and that he was there for you and he gave you some really direct feedback and advice. It actually reminded me of the importance of mentoring younger people. I'm middle aged now and I still think of myself as like 27 years old. But reading that story reminded me of like the things that I say to younger people can matter and can make a difference and can be helpful. So also, you never really know what people remember when you're talking because Larry said some stuff that he probably doesn't even like he wasn't even talking to me. Uh huh. Talking to someone else, and I'd hear it out of the corner of my ear, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like, right? It would totally like shift my whole perception of reality. And he would say some things, and I was like, "Wow!" And then he would do certain things, and I I wouldn't understand it at the time. And then looking back, I, I realized how awesome he was. You know, he's like my uncle. Yeah, yeah. Well, he obviously like he really loved you, which is really sweet. You know, one thing I wanted to to ask you is, I feel like there's now more than ever in our whole culture, like not just in yoga, but there's just like this obsession with being famous, with like getting attention. And, and, and I was wondering. That's not, that's super old. That's like, you think that's that's super old? As long as human beings have been around. Huh? Yeah. Because every, essentially it's like this, as this is my understanding of it. Attention is, is love. Attention is awareness. It's consciousness. It's energy. And so everybody wants it because not everybody knows how to give it to themselves. So you got to find a you got to find a source for it. That's like on a that's on like a subconscious level. Now on a professional level, people are, you just got to make a living, you know? Like people got stuff they need to sell, they want to get out in the world, they don't want to work at the gap. Yeah. Be a piece for the rest of their life like so they got to figure out their hustle and so mm-hmm. I never people's hustle because like if you're a self-made person, if you're an entrepreneur and you figure out a way to create a product or uh, generate a service and you, you, you're you out there promoting it and marketing it, I respect that because that takes a lot of work. And uh, to be your own boss and to, to work for yourself, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes a lot of sacrifice. And when you work for yourself, you don't clock in like in the morning and clock out at night. It's just, it never ends. Yeah. And it can be grueling and relentless and people don't always see that side of it because oftentimes they just see when people have made it. So they're like, wow, this person is so successful, but they don't see the behind the scenes like, oh, you missed Christmas with your family? How many times? Like, oh, you had to travel? Oh, that's cool. They see all the, the snapshots of all the good stuff. Yeah. But you don't see the crappy food people have to eat on the road and like dealing with all kinds of interesting situations and scenarios. So. I don't know. I, I've just really come to appreciate entrepreneurs and people who work, who, who figure out a way to be successful in this world and do it in a way that's not orthodox or the status quo. Yeah. So what's next for you? You've got the book. You're going on the book tour. What other kind of work do you want to do in the world? Or, or do you want to keep doing what you're doing? Yeah, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. I mean, my, my lifelong goal or dream, a couple of things I would really love to 
be a part of in my lifetime. I'd really love to develop a comic book series. Hmm, that would be fun. You know, I've got so many cool concepts and ideas around that that I've been sort of incubating for for a long time now, and just waiting for the right time to really focus on it. And then I would really love to be involved in film because I really love. I just love film. I've had the good fortune of creating a lot of my own videos and with with my friends and really enjoy that process of being able to tell a story. I mean, essentially I'm a, I'm a storyteller. So I just want to tell more, more stories. Yeah. Create more content. I'm assuming that the illustrations in the book are yours. The, yeah. the uh, chapter openers. Yeah. That was really cool. It's a cool element of the book. Little doodles. Um, it's just nice. Cause you talk about that side of you, like that, side of the doodling in the in the comic book so it's it's cool to see it come to life yeah i mean i'm at the end of the day i'm just a huge nerd like i i got a huge comic book collection you know growing up i was really into the simpsons and <laughs> and batman and spider-man and i just love myths and archetypes and i i'm just so blown away at human beings ability through their imagination to to create you know, these characters and tell these stories. You know, I got had the good fortune of meeting um, Stan Lee a couple of weeks ago at, at Comic-Con. He's the oh, founder wow. of comics. He helped co-create Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and along with Jack Kirby, who's a great illustrator. But it's like some meeting someone like that, I was like, wow, it's like, you've brought so much creativity. Help You help bring so much creativity into the world. And so many stories and you've created these superheroes that kid I mean to me those are role models like I don't think I'm a role model I think like these superheroes are like they're kind of cool because you know they struggle with all the stuff we struggle with and I think that's why I really gravitated toward Hindu and Buddhist mythology mm, yeah I was thinking that as you were talking about it they're such great stories oh my gosh I have the little book of Hindu deities oh yeah Jay which Patel. I read yeah. to my daughter do you know him by any chance I want I want to interview him so badly. <laughs> I met Sanjay, for, uh, I got, my friend used to work at Pixar and I went and I got a tour and I met Sanjay there. He's super cool, great guy, amazing artist, super yeah. talented. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of his work too. So, you know, we read them to my daughter and they're just the ultimate in storytelling. And I will say that like, since having a kid, you know, she's, she's five now. So she's at the age where story is everything. Everything is a story. It's yeah. off usually a made up story. And it's usually like a wild and crazy story. And the things that come out of her are incredible. And you see that kids, when they are telling a story or when they're playing, it's literally how they are making sense of the whole world. And it's like how they're healing themselves from like the little hurts that come up throughout a day. And I would say that adults do the same thing too. They're just not, the stories aren't as whimsical. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. The inner narrative is like usually a little more annoying than fun. But that's, I mean, that's all any of us are doing is telling stories. We're all storytellers. Like we're all making stuff up. We're all projecting and reflecting and deflecting and, you know, but it's all like we tell stories about other people. We tell stories about ourselves. And is any of it real? Probably not much of it is that real. I think writing this book was was really eye-opening for me because like remembering all the things that happened, all that is is just my memories. Like 
how much of that is like what other people experience. I mean, probably to some degree, there's shared experience with my friends and stuff, but they probably had a whole nother experience of when we crashed the car or whatever, like, right. So it's just all our interpretation. It's like what you've internalized. Yeah. 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 Well, it's a good story and I'm glad you're sharing it with everyone. Thanks for talking to me and I will put links to your book up on our site so people can find it. Thanks for helping to spread the word about spiritual graffiti. It was a fun process to write that book. And I think people are really going to enjoy reading it. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please be sure to leave a rating on iTunes. It's super helpful. And as I said before, show notes can be found at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 67. Until next week, enjoy your practice. Breathe deep. Deep breath.